YouTube used to be a place that was great for content creators to make money. But as many companies that advertise on the platform complained about some of the content that their ads were being shown on, YouTube has made changes, many of which are understandable, but now many of which are a bit odd. Like, now you're demonetized for even mentioning COVID-19. Other alternatives have popped up, the most popular one being Library, or LBRY. What are the differences? And what are the pros and cons of each? We discuss this today on Joey's Totally Tech. YouTube's start to the adpocalypse. The online video sharing platform in San Bruno, California was started by three former PayPal employees, Chad Hurley, Steve Chen, and Jawed Kareem, in February 2005. The inspiration, according to Kareem, was from Janet Jackson's role of the 2004 Super Bowl incident, where her breast was exposed accidentally and later from the 2004 Indian Ocean Tsunami. He couldn't find video clips of either event easily, and that led to the idea of the video sharing site. Both Hurley and Chen said the original idea was for a video version of an online dating service, and was actually influenced by a website called Hot or Not, where you rank people's photographs of themselves. The difficulty in finding dating videos led to a change of plans, and the founders decided to accept all videos. Beginning as a venture capital-funded technology startup with an $11.5 million investment by Sequoia Capital and $8 million investment from Artists Capital Management, it was purchased by Google in 2006 for $1.65 billion. Since then, Google has placed ads on YouTube videos and started allowing content creators to monetize their videos. And it was fairly easy for YouTubers to make money until August 2016 when what has been coined as the YouTube apocalypse happened. YouTube was shifting their focus towards family-friendly content and it affected many channels with adult audiences. In February 2017, PewDiePie, a popular gaming YouTuber, had created a video that was deemed anti-Semitic and hate speech, with references and jokes about Hitler and two Indian men holding a sign that said, Death to all Jews. Other YouTubers had posted videos with racial slurs and extremist content. Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, Johnson & Johnson, and many other brands 
started pulling their ads as a result. And YouTube had to rethink its advertising to get its advertisers back. YouTube was only monetizing videos that were deemed family-friendly after these events. They also set up stricter standards, making it harder for new YouTubers' videos to be monetized. And this was the first of four apocalypses. I won't get too much into them here, but some people feel their content has been demonetized because of the views they expressed, often conservative views, and then frequently conspiracy theorist views, or even some views that could be considered extremist. Some even have accused YouTube of censorship, though technically censorship is when the video is removed or edited, not demonetized. Also, being a company and not the government, YouTube has every right to demonetize and remove content. Now, some content has been removed, most notably content from InfoWars, a well-known conspiracy theory media outlet, which was giving misleading and factually inaccurate information. Some people feel YouTube went overboard with InfoWars being removed. In my opinion, if we really must get into it, I think the company had every right to remove InfoWars, and I think InfoWars was misleading and misinforming people. However, I'm not sure it's a good look for YouTube, as people want to be free to express their views regardless of how trash it is. People saw YouTube as a public forum. It's not, but people saw it as such, and as such, people are going to be upset. But there's another part of me that feels YouTube was right to do it because of the misinformation. And I hate misinformation, especially in regards to things like anti-vaccination conspiracy theories when vaccinations will actually save lives. But that's a different matter altogether. And so other alternative services have been spawned, such as DTube, Mimes, and most notably, Library. Library and its cryptocurrency. Library, spelled L-B-R-Y, is a newer and increasingly popular content sharing platform, mostly for displaying videos. Though we'll be focusing on this as a video platform in comparison with YouTube, you can also post audio and even games that are written in JavaScript. I'm unable to pinpoint when Library was created, however. I first learned about the platform back in 2018 when I was trying to get my YouTube channel, at the time called Joey Tech Talks, back up and running regularly, and the cryptocurrency mining craze was hitting. Library was one of several platforms that was paying its creators in a cryptocurrency. In Library's case, Library Credits. And at that time, I thought DTube looked more promising. Library had its issues. For one thing, I wanted to create content that viewers could give feedback on, and feedback comments couldn't even be given at the time. I wanted to build a community. 
fast forward to today and they've got that handled albeit still in an experimental phase immediately when you first sign up even without creating content you can start earning library credits these credits can be used for tipping content creators or even purchasing content that content creators made non-free that's one of the cool things about the platform from a content creator's point of view you can set up prices for your content if you don't want it to be free. Or if you want it to be free, people will often tip you. It's typically small amounts for me. Uh, I upload the podcast episodes to the library, and I'd say on average my tips are probably about three library credits per tip. As of writing this script, one library credit is worth almost two cents. It's certainly not enough to pay the bills or anything, but this can add up if you're a really popular content creator. And I certainly haven't gained that much traction on any platform as of yet. The pros and cons of YouTube. Back to YouTube, let's discuss the pros and cons. The pros. YouTube is a far more well-known platform for video content. The platform also automatically creates different resolution videos from what you've uploaded, making lower quality versions for slower connections, and your highest quality versions will be used for faster connections. You can do live streaming on YouTube just like you can on Twitch. YouTube has its YouTube Studio, where you can add subtitles, change settings, view analytics, create playlists, and download audio from a massive free audio library to use in your video. Though I will say for something called YouTube Studio, they took a feature away a while back, a basic video editor, which in my opinion would make it more of a studio package. I'm not even sure why they removed that feature. It was pretty cool. Also on YouTube, there's a standard in the videos now, so you're more likely to find family-friendly content if you're searching for content. The cons. YouTube now has very strict rules as to what could be monetized and what can't. It now takes a long time for you to even be monetized as you need a certain number of subscribers and views. And then once you have that, it's easy to get demonetized. It's so bad that if you're not giving misinformation or conspiracy theories, just mentioning something negative like COVID-19 or coronavirus can trigger their algorithm to demonetize your video. In my opinion, this is kind of ridiculous. Many people think it is because of their conservative political views being censored by YouTube. Again, it's technically not censorship, just demonetization with a few exceptions. But interestingly, The David Pagan Show and the like with more liberal views have also been demonetized, and David Pagman points out it's not the political stance that's causing the demonetization, but rather more corporate mainstream outlets such as CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, Fox News, etc. being considered more trusted than independent channels such as his. 
And I tend to think it's more along those lines, too. If you're a corporate media outlet, you get priority on YouTube. And if you're not, then you're easily demonetized for bringing up current affairs such as coronavirus. And distribution is a lot harder now, too, as larger channels often are given more consideration in video suggestions. The pros and cons of library. Now, onto library, we need to keep in mind that library is a newer platform, and new features are being added all the time. The pros. The project is community-driven and open-source. It's decentralized. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be censored. You totally can't, especially if you put up any content that's illegal in nature. But there's always a record of what you put up on the blockchain. They generally don't do a lot of censoring besides any illegal content. You can start earning immediately on the platform, as anyone can be tipped, and you can set up videos that people pay for. And they're not going to demonetize you for bringing up current affairs. The cons. Videos that you upload are at the quality that you upload them at. This could be a bad thing if someone has a slower connection. While you can watch the videos in your web browser, the way you upload content is through the library app, which you have to download. And when you watch any videos through the app, it's going to download them, taking up precious hard drive space that you may not wish to have taken up because it is decentralized. It wants to host it there as well as other places. You can delete the videos, but it's kind of annoying to have to keep up with it all, especially if you frequently watch videos. There's not really anything equivalent to YouTube Studio, though that's not a huge deal as the information is already editable. But that massive free audio library is missing. Though someone could simply upload Creative Commons license or public domain audio to the platform if they want to. And something that could be either a pro or a con depending on how you look at it, you have to decide for yourself what information you're going to trust. This could be a good thing or a bad thing. You might go to a platform like this to get information and you have to really trust that the content creator is putting out accurate or unbiased information. But really, YouTube has this problem to a certain extent too. In fact, you really have to do your own research on either platform. So, what's better? If you're trying to get away from closed source proprietary platforms or just wanting an alternative platform to put your content on and be monetized for, Library is the place to be at. You could do it on YouTube too, but you won't be earning money as quickly. You don't have to worry about demonetization on Library as it will stay up and people will tip you regardless. YouTube relies on ads, so it's dealing with corporations who may or may not like your content. If you're publishing videos, I'd publish to both honestly, mainly because YouTube has the higher viewer base still. However, 
you can easily create a fan base that's growing daily on Library. It's not near the size of YouTube yet, but sometimes it can be easier to get your content in people's hands if there's less people to distribute the content on the platform to, as well as less people to compete with. As far as the less people to compete with goes though, that could change in the future as this is a growing platform. Hey everyone, it's Joey, and I'm recording this for my iPhone 6S. Have you heard about the Anchor app yet? If not, let me explain. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. I'm recording from my phone right now. I normally use my professional microphone at home to record, but hey, I'm showing that you can do this on the phone too. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast. There's no minimum listenership required. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app in the Apple App Store or Android's Google Play Store today to get started. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So you all know COVID-19 has been wreaking havoc around the world, and it's easy to feel powerless. But there is something you can do. It's called Folding at Home. You can donate your PC's processing power to help fight infectious diseases such as COVID-19 by connecting up to their distributed supercomputer. You can use Windows, Mac, or Linux-based systems. You can download Folding at Home at foldingathome.org. Again, that's foldingathome.org. And we have a folding team set up as well. It's called Joey's Totally Folding. If you set up your computer for folding at home and want to join the team, go into Configure in the app, go to the Identity tab, and put in the team member number, 261660 and set up your name and passkey. And then you can start folding with Joey's Totally Folding on the Folding at Home app. And remember, stay safe out there, practice social distancing, and abide by your state or country's orders regarding COVID-19 for your own safety and the safety of others. Hey everyone, I hope you're all doing well, and I hope you found YouTube versus Library informative. So this past week, a security flaw has been in iPhones and iPads for years. RTX GPUs aren't just for graphics, but for noise cancellation and audio too. GeForce Now can't seem to stop shedding publishers. Epic Games has angrily put Fortnite in the Google Play Store. Apple is definitely coming out with at least one computer with its own chip, and Wi-Fi is about to get even better. Stay tuned. I promise this won't be as long as the past few weeks. It's time for the news.
A flaw in iPhones and iPads has allowed hackers to steal your data for years. Apple will be fixing the flaw, which has left more than half a billion users vulnerable. The bug was discovered by ZecOps, a San Francisco-based mobile forensics company, while investigating a cyber attack against a client in 2019. Zuck Abraham, the chief executive of ZecOps, found evidence that the vulnerability has been used for at least six cybersecurity break-ins. Your RTX graphics card can now be used to remove noise from audio. RTX Voice was released earlier this month. This impressive feature has the ability to remove noise from your audio. The Verge has shared a clip with someone with RTX Voice off and then on, and it completely removes the sound of his Cherry MX Brown Switch keyboard. The feature does hit performance when gaming, so it's likely best to use this for business use or just for calls that aren't gaming related. You will need either an RTX GeForce or RTX Quadro graphics card to use this feature. You'll also need to download the RTX Voice software from NVIDIA's website. GeForce Now loses more publishers. NVIDIA's game streaming service has added Assassin's Creed and Far Cry, but unfortunately more publishers are abandoning the service. Xbox Game Studios, Warner Brothers, Codemasters, and Cly Entertainment are removing their titles from the service. Fortnite is finally on Google Play Store. Epic Games has finally put its popular game in the Google Play Store, but proclaimed to the world how angry it is to have to do it. When Epic first released the game back in 2018, they said they would only offer the game directly from its website. Epic Games CEO Tim Sweeney has said they don't approve of Google taking 30% of its sales made via its platform. Epic Games says they are only doing this because Google has made it prohibitively difficult to run apps on Android outside of its own ecosystem. But it is believed that this may help the game's distribution as many people may not know how to sideload Android apps. Apple will start selling Macs with its own ARM chip in 2021. Apple is planning at least one Mac with a custom-designed 12-core ARM-based processor. The processors are expected to be manufactured by TSMC using the 5 nanometer process. The first ones will have 12 cores, including 8 high-performance cores, and at least four energy-efficient cores. They're also exploring processors with more cores for the future. The new Mac is likely to be a notebook, but we could also expect a desktop to be in the mix too. And finally, Wi-Fi 6E is coming. The FCC has voted unanimously to make Wi-Fi 6E available. This will mean faster and more stable Wi-Fi connections for consumers. As of now, routers can only use the 2.4 GHz and 5 GHz bands, but moving forward, they'll be able to use the 6 GHz band. The first compatible routers may be available as soon as the fourth quarter, according to Wi-Fi Alliance, the consortium that maintains and promotes Wi-Fi standards. 
Expect a big holiday season for routers and Wi-Fi devices that can take advantage of the 6 GHz band. And as always, this has been Joey. Thank you for listening to Joey's Totally Tech. I will catch you next time.